Uh, my name's Jeff. I serve as the pastor here. Thrilled to have you with us this morning. And uh, it's, it's still, we'll talk about it, it's still Easter season. It's still Easter tide. And so <laughs> I'm excited. It's fun. I'm going to start with a little story. I was thinking, and you'll see why, uh, but I, I was remembering this a couple years ago. My sister moved from downtown Chicago to the mountains of North Carolina. It was quite the turn of events. And so Kami, Jay, and I, sitting over here, we went to visit my sister and her bro- my brother-in-law, her husband. And they happened, because they're in the mountains, they're, they're near a lot of trails. And we love to hike, and my sister knows that if I can hike anything, let me hike along a river to a waterfall. Oh, love it. And so we did a lot of hiking, and we got there, and the first few days, the weather was amazing, a little bit like yesterday here in Illinois, like it was nice, and we were hiking, and, but it hadn't rained for a while, it had kind of been a drought, and so, so I don't know if you've ever hiked where there's waterfalls, but if there's been a drought, the waterfalls are pretty mild, right? The rivers are really smooth and calm and shallow, and you can get really close to the waterfall, it's really fun. And one of the days as we were hiking, there were these big old rocks out all the way in the river, and they were like perfectly placed. It's almost like God was like playground for kids and adults who are still kids. And so Jay and I were just jumping from rock to rock and just running back and forth across the river on these big rocks. And at one point, Jay looked at me and said, Dad, I was born for this. It's so fun. It's so fun. But then it rained for like two days. And so just a lot of rain So now these waterfalls were no longer just trickles, they became pretty powerful. And the rivers got a lot higher with a little bit more surge to them. And so we went hiking on a different trail to a, um, I think it was a waterfall that was in the movie Last of the Mohicans, if any of you date back that far. But a pretty cool waterfall. But we couldn't get as close, right? The river was more, the waterfall was more. But we wanted to get a little bit around these trees so we could get a better view. And there was... There was a way along the shoreline, but it was kind of a little treacherous with trees in your way, but you could get there. Or there was a larger jump from one rock to another. So I was like, I'm doing the jump, right? It's not going where you think it's going, don't worry. I didn't fall in. But I was a little like, this is a pretty big jump. I think I can do it. And so I geared up and I ran and I made the jump and I I made it. I made it. I mean, it wasn't like I almost fell in, but I was pretty close. And so Jay was like, Dad, I want to do that. And I was like, Jay, no, come on, man. I, dad, dad barely did, right? So he's like, all right. So he goes around the edge with Kami and my sister and my brother-in-law, Brad. And, and we meet and we kind of sit for a while and take in the waterfall. But now we're heading back. And I, I'm like, I'm jumping across again. And Jay's like, well, I'm jumping too. And I was like, no, I, I was filled with, I'll say it this way on purpose. I was filled with doubt. I barely made it, so I doubted that Jay could make the jump. But Kami, I mean, being a, I don't know, a great mom, she was like, oh, you can do it, Jay. I was like, I, I barely, oh, Jay can do that. I barely did it. Jay's like, I'm doing it. I'm like, all right, worst thing, you're going to get wet. It wasn't really dangerous there. It was just deeper. So Jay's like, I'm doing it. So, so I make the jump again. I barely get across, and then Jay gears up. And he's like thinking about it, talking about it. Should I do it? Should I not do it? I'll just get wet. I'll be fine. His adrenaline gets going, and he runs, and he jumps, and he not only clears the water, he gets like halfway across the rock and almost comes off the other side. And then just is like, come on, like so annoyed that dad didn't think he could do it. And I, have to apolo- I had to apologize for all of my doubt. I had a lot of doubt, and he just totally overwhelmed it and made it look easy. And I also was like, man, my, my, my 10-year-old son can jump farther than me. What's going on now? I'm like getting old. But I was thinking about that because I was trying to think, when was the last time I really, I doubted someone. I don't think it was the last time, but it was a prominent time. I, I doubted somebody. 
Have you recently doubted anyone in your life? Maybe you've doubted yourself, doubted other people, doubted leaders. Maybe you've doubted God. We're going to talk a bit about that. That's probably what we'll focus on this morning for the most part. We're going to talk about forgiveness and peace because it's part of our text, but we'll spend the most time looking at doubt. We're still, as I said, we're still in our Easter season. I tried to wear Easter colors, right? I'm rocking my Easter green this morning because we're still in the Easter season. Because we're walking through the church calendar the way we are this year, we don't normally do it this way if you're visiting, but this year we're honoring the church calendar, trying to learn from it, trying to organize our time around Jesus. And in the church calendar, Easter lasts, the season of Easter, Easter tide lasts 50 days. Why 50 days? Is it just a random number? No, I told you we're organizing it around the life of Jesus. So there are 40 days of Jesus' resurrection appearances in the New Testament. And then 10 days after that is Pentecost. And so we celebrate 50 days of Easter. And we'll, we'll talk about Ascension Day and Pentecost as they come closer. But that's why we do what we do seven Sundays of Easter. So we'll be looking at these resurrection appearances of Jesus for several weeks. And it's all good news. We're in the Easter season. It's a season of life and new creation. And because I like to remind you of this, we're learning the calendar, not just to learn it, but because I want it to be a discipleship tool for you if you choose to continue to honor it in, in your yearly cycle. And I've tried to say this again and again, but we all go through seasons of waiting on God. Maybe you could even say doubting God, wondering, God, are you there? Are you going to do anything? And we practice that in our church calendar. We call it Advent. And we know that if we practice the calendar, we know that Advent, that waiting, that doubting, all waiting on God, Advent always ends in Christmas. God always comes. God always arrives. And when God comes, it goes from Christmas to Epiphany. God begins to reveal himself, and we learn who God is. It's great news. God is just like Jesus Christ, and we get excited. It's all great news. And then we, we, we commit to following Jesus, and we walk with Jesus, and we go from Epiphany to Lent because we realize that if we're going to walk with Jesus, if we're going to be yoked with Jesus, we have to walk the narrow road. And we have to enter into the season of Lent, and we have to carry our own cross, and we have to die to ourselves. And Lent reminds us that following Jesus is hard. But Lent always ends in Easter. <laughs> There's never been a Lent that wasn't followed by Easter. And so no matter what in us dies, all the good that God has for us is resurrected in new life and new creation because we're in Easter, right? So that's what we're doing with the church calendar. Now we're going to be in John chapter 20, actually, this week and next week. We're kind of picking up where we left off last week. John 20, we'll, we'll kind of work our way through this in sections. But we'll start talking about forgiveness. John 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Again, just a little context, they had been following Jesus, declaring him to be the Messiah, the true king of Israel, and Rome said, uh-uh, and Rome killed him. And so now you're following this guy and, and, the, and the current leaders, Rome, they've just killed him off. And so now the disciples are afraid. The Jewish leaders know who we are too. They've seen our faces. Are we in trouble? Jesus isn't here. What do we do? And so they're meeting and they're afraid and they're hiding out behind locked doors. And it says, suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. 
And suddenly Jesus just shows up. Now, I do think John, and he's even going to use this language again intentionally. There's something about Jesus being in their midst, Jesus being at the center. It's almost as if John is saying, when you're gathered, Jesus should always be at the center. You should always know that Jesus is in your midst. And this is the resurrected Jesus. He comes in, just kind of suddenly appears through locked doors. This is one of the things you'll see. There are parts, we'll talk about his wounds from the crucifixion. There are parts of Jesus before his, before his resurrection that come through that we know it's the same Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth. But there are things about Jesus, this Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, that are also different. So sometimes people like Mary don't recognize him. And now he can kind of just be there, even though the doors are locked. There's something about this new creation. He's the first fruits of the new creation, this resurrected body, where he's kind of beyond some of the normal limits of the old creation. That stuff gets communicated through these stories. Well, Jesus is in their midst. He's at the center of them, and he speaks the first words of new creation. He doesn't say, why'd you guys deny me? Where were you when I was on the cross? I didn't see you anywhere. No, he speaks the first words of new creation. He says, peace be with you. In fact, he's going to say that three times in our text this morning. And so we're going to end. Hopefully this gets your soul excited. We're going to end receiving the peace of God. I want you to feel the beauty of this, this gift. Peace be with you. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And they were filled with joy that they saw the Lord. They knew it was Jesus. One of the authors that I was reading said this, The single most peace-giving fact in life, maybe after the free forgiveness of sins, is, is reality, is truth. When Jesus gives his disciples his crucified hands and wounded side, he is saying to them, I want to give you the reason for the peace I'm speaking to you. A reason for peace that is deeper than a wish or just mere words. I'm revealing truth to you. The crucified Jesus is really, truly alive. And his wounds are the truth because they are the ultimate point to which the love of God can go for our sake. This is revealing the heart of God for you and I. Love, in essence, is the ultimate truth. And the glory of God is revealed by these wounds, his, his desire to save you, to redeem you, to rescue you, to give you peace, to give you peace with God. That's where it all starts because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you and I can have peace with God. And when you find peace with God, and maybe you're seeking that right now, or maybe you're seeking peace for yourself, I want to tell you that if you can find peace with God, and you can in Jesus, then you will find this unbelievable peace for, within yourself. So many of us are struggling to have peace within ourselves. You can find it. And I, and I promise you this, we, can, we become agents of peace because once we have peace with God and peace with ourselves, we're so free to have peace with one another. We're no longer in the rat race of competition. We can be at peace with one another. We can love our neighbor. Again, Jesus says, peace be with you. And this is really John's version of Jesus commissioning us to continue his work of seeing the kingdom come here on earth. He says, as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. 
And then he breathed on them because I, and I loved, I love that they're close enough to Jesus to feel his breath. I love that they're close enough to Jesus to, to breathe the air that Jesus is breathing. In fact, we're going to talk about this commissioning, and you're going to be like, how could I ever go and do that? I'll say, well, you can't on your own, but if you can get this close to Jesus, if you can breathe the air Jesus breathes, if you can feel his breath, maybe just hitting the side, your hair moving, you're close enough. He's to your side, he's talking, but you can feel his breath. Well, as you're, as you're that close to Jesus, he begins to transform you. And he empowers them as he breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you can't do this on your own, but, but the very presence of God. We believe in a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we experience the presence of God now, because, we'll talk about this more in Pentecost, through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, he receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. <laughs> That's awesome. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the special mission of the church to be the presence of God in the world. The Holy Spirit working through us as the body of Christ. The special mission of the church is to give Jesus to others in such a way that they may believe that he really is risen, that he really is Lord. And that with their trust they can then receive with and in Jesus the free forgiveness of sins, the free gift of the Holy Spirit, the free privilege of passing Jesus and his forgiveness on to others. That's what we do. We, you say, how could I forgive the sins of others? Well, you pass on Jesus' forgiveness. You've been commissioned to do that. I want to say a few things about what he says at the end. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Sometimes the translation may say, if you, if you retain or withhold the forgiveness of others. Uh, just thinking through this, uh, I read a couple different authors. But how do we retain or pronounce as unforgiven other people's sins? I think we primarily do that as we warn the unrepentant and the unbelieving of the consequences of unrepented sin. That is one of the things that the church does. We warn the world that sin is a serious, deadly disease and that to remain in it will bring death. We are to rebuke and warn, not because we don't like people or because we are seeking power or prestige for ourselves, but because this is God's message to a muddled, confused, and rebellious world. I actually thought it was interesting. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved... We are a life-giving perfume or cologne or whatever kind of odor you like, right? A life-giving scent of baked goods, <laughs> a steak on the grill, you know. That's, we are, but to those who are being saved, it is a life-giving fragrance. And it's important that we never forget our role in warning the world about the seriousness of sin and the consequences of sin but as I stop and reflect on the whole ministry of Jesus and everything he taught as he walked on this earth, I do think the thrust of this is really our calling to forgive. You and I are sent into the world with a particular mission, one we need the Holy Spirit for. 
It is the great mission of the followers of Jesus. We are to forgive the sins of anyone we come in contact with. We are to overflow the world with peace and forgiveness. You say, well, what if someone doesn't deserve forgiveness? I say, well, did you? (laughs) Did you deserve forgiveness? None of us deserve it, but it was freely given to us in Christ, so you don't have to worry about it. In a kingdom of abundance, you don't have to worry about some scarcity of forgiveness. You didn't earn it. It was freely given to you, so you pass it on to others. Yes, you can withhold forgiveness, and it'll be withheld in those interactions, but don't withhold forgiveness. (laughs) Be generous. Be as generous with forgiveness as Jesus was with you. Be as generous with forgiveness of others as you want Jesus to be with you. The very wounds of Jesus in this text tell us what Jesus thinks about forgiveness. Because as they were being nailed into him, he hung on the cross and cried out to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's been freely given to you, so freely give. We live in a world, it's, it's like a scorched desert of hate and retaliation. It's, it's a long drought. And we can overflow this desert with rivers of mercy and forgiveness. But to do so, we need to be close to Jesus. We need to feel his breath. We need to breathe the air of Jesus and to be reminded of what we've been forgiven from. <laughs> so we can pass it on to others. We need to know our forgiveness. Jesus forgave us, and so we pass it on. We overflow the world with forgiveness. It's the calling of the church. And it's a joyous calling. We get to release people from their sin and from their shame. We get to invite them into a new world, a world of peace and joy and hope and purpose and love. And it's happening here at Crossview, and it's exciting. I have we do formed. We have one more week of formed. It's our discipleship pathway. And this last Wednesday, uh, we were talking about sharing the gospel, evangelism, what the gospel is and why we need to share it. It's important. We want to be a church that shares Jesus with an unbelieving world. And one of the people, it was actually, I did some teaching, but I feel like of all the weeks I did less teaching because it was such a good conversation and so many good things we talked about. And at one point, one of the people that formed one of our sisters in Christ raised her hand and she said, I got to tell you this story, Jeff. I got to tell you this story. I was getting a pedicure, she said. And I'm in a conversation with somebody and this doesn't normally happen, but it happens. And we're talking and I'm talking about Jesus and how awesome Jesus is and, and they're talking about Buddha. And we get in this big conversation and they, they look at me and, and with deep sincerity they say, can I follow both Buddha and Jesus? And she said, I didn't know what to say. And it just strikes me that, that, that Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on us. If you allow yourself to find yourself in places like this where you don't even know what you're going to say, the, the, the New Testament promises that the Holy Spirit will give you words. And so she's like, I, I never say anything like this, Jeff. But I'm sitting there, and, and they ask me, and this is what comes out of my mouth. And I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking, what would I say? You know, I could maybe say this, or maybe I'd say this, or maybe I'd say this. She said, this is what I said. Once you get to know Jesus, you won't want to follow Buddha anymore. <laughs> Your class, we did that in class. I was like, that's awesome. That's better than what I would have said. That's from the Holy Spirit. That is awesome. And it's true. Once you get to know somebody who forgives your sins even when you don't deserve it, 
When you're dead in your own transgressions, he comes and dies for you. Once you get to know the love and mercy that there is a God out there, and he loves you and he delights in you, there's nobody like Jesus. You may try to follow all kinds of things, but at the end of the day, you're going to realize there's nobody like Jesus. He's amazing. He's incredible. Love Jesus. All right, let's keep reading. Verses 24 to 31. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. Where was he? We don't know. We don't know where he was, but I, I will tell you where he goes in a few minutes. He wasn't with them on that first night. And so they come to Thomas. It's probably the ten, maybe some others, but, but obviously Judas isn't there. Thomas isn't there. So they say, Thomas, they told him, we, we have seen the Lord. And this is where we're going to start to talk about this doubt. Thomas says, I won't believe it unless I see the nails in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Now, it's fascinating to me. That's why we're going to spend a little bit of time on doubt. It's fascinating to me how as you read through these resurrection accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all mention doubt. And they're not afraid to mention it. This story of Thomas plays a prominent role at the end of John's gospel. John wants to highlight Thomas's doubt because he knows that other people in the church will have doubt too. What does Matthew say at the very end of Matthew 28, right before his version of the Great Commission? Matthew says they were there and they were worshiping Jesus, but some doubted. I mean, doubt is just a a part. I mean, and the disciples aren't worried about the doubt. Yeah. Sometimes we get really worried about our doubt. Don't be afraid of your doubt. Don't be worried about your doubt. Eight days later, and we'll see the way that Jesus brings his presence. Eight days later, the disciples are together again, and this time Thomas was with them. And we'll look at Thomas. What can we do with our doubts? I think Thomas gives us a lot of help. Again, the doors are locked. They're still dealing with some fear. And just as before, Jesus is standing among them. Jesus is in their midst. Jesus is in the center. They're gathering, and they're keeping Jesus at the center of their gathering. And for the third time in our text this morning, Jesus says, peace be with you. You're still behind locked doors. You don't need to be afraid. Peace, peace be with you. And then he looks to Thomas, and he says, put your finger here, and look at my hands, and put your hand into the wound in my side, and I love this, and maybe this will resonate to some of you. Jesus said it to Thomas. Maybe he's saying it to you this morning. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Believe. Trust in Jesus. And this was Thomas's response. And again, sometimes maybe we have trouble looking for words, but wow, if, this is, if, this, if these are your words this morning, for the first time, I would love to talk with you after the service. Jesus says, don't be faithless any longer, believe. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. What a confession of faith. And then Jesus says, you believe because you have seen me. And then he issues out, we could call this a beatitude. And this is a beatitude that speaks over all of us here today who have found faith in Jesus. Blessed are those, blessed are you who believe without seeing me, without seeing Jesus. Jesus says you're blessed. And then John writes, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, this book, the book of John. I would guess, I don't have proof, but I would guess that the book of John is the most translated piece of literature in the history of humanity. 
That's why I always say if you're newer to Crossview, if you're newer to the Christian church, if you're joining us online and just checking out church, pick up the Gospel of John and read through it. When missionaries go to other countries, they usually translate the Gospel of John first and foremost. Why? Because of what John writes in verse 31. These are written so that you may believe or that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that as you believe in him, by believing in Jesus, you will have this life. You will discover true, abundant life, that deep soul rest, peace and purpose and joy and hope. You will have everlasting life by the power of his name, in the name of Jesus, as you cry out to God, as you know him as Jesus. So let's dig a little deeper into this doubt. The first thing I want to say, I got three little points on doubt. Don't deny your doubts. Don't deny your doubts. Honestly, and it's probably true if you ever step back and look at this big picture, but pretending that you don't have doubts and then trying to suppress them only feeds them and makes them stronger. Don't deny your doubts. If you don't have doubts, that's great. Um, I, I think there are some of us who are wired in a way that we just don't, we're, not, we're just not inherently skeptical. Like we just don't have a lot of doubts. That's fine. Don't create doubts if you don't have them. But if you do have doubts, don't pretend that you don't. It's okay to have doubts. I told you the gospel writers are not embarrassed about the doubts that were present around the resurrection encounters of Jesus. Uh, they had all kinds of doubts. Is this really Jesus? Should they worship Jesus? Can they follow Jesus? They've already, the disciples have already denied him. Can they, can they actually follow him? Will the Holy Spirit make a difference in their life? In other words, doubt doesn't have to be a disaster, and it doesn't disqualify you. Thomas probably didn't doubt any more than Peter or James and John. They all had their doubts, but they didn't make a big deal about it. Jesus personally met them where they were and walked them through their doubts. In fact, I would even throw out to you that sometimes doubt is a doorway to something better. As we want to be a church where we are maturing in Christ, if I look back at my own journey or even of people that I deeply respect within the kingdom of God, there are often times where you go through a season of doubt that you just have to go through and it leads to something so much more. Thomas is doubting and doubting and doubting and then Thomas becomes the first one to say to Jesus, my God. What a doorway to walk through. He went from doubt to this, the strongest confession that you could make. And what do we know about Thomas? We, know, we don't know where he was on that first night when Jesus revealed himself, but we know where he went. Church tradition tells us, and my professor, you guys know I love to say this. I said this on Wednesday night, but my professor, Dr. Eckhard Schnabel, is the greatest seminary professor name ever. I was his TA. He wrote an 1,800-page book on early Christian mission. It's gigantic. And he believes that Thomas went all the way to India. All the way to India. Maybe farther than any other apostle. And he was martyred for his faith in the year 72. Is it okay to have doubts? Yeah. Does it mean you're going to lose your faith if you have any doubts? No. And sometimes doubts are the doorway to something so much better. In fact, I was thinking about this. There's, there's a variety of ways I could tell my own personal testimony of doubts. 
But I, know, I don't know anybody who was taught everything perfectly right out of the gate. Or even if they were taught everything really well, understood it all perfectly. And didn't have to unlearn some things on their Jesus journey. I was thinking of some of the more obvious ones in the last probably 15 years since I've served in vocational ministry. But I've had to doubt some things. And I think it's good that I doubted. There was a season where I was trained in what I would call consumer Christianity. And I served as a pastor. And there were expectations of people above me that I was going to meet. No one said it this way, but it was inherent. I was going to meet the consumer needs of my clients. And so we were going to promise that God was going to do things, but if God didn't do it, I needed to make sure it happened. And I began to doubt, is that how I want to do ministry? I don't think it is. I had to unlearn some things. I I learned pretty quickly I cannot replace Jesus, and I never want to try again. I have tried. I never want to do it again. I had some doubts. I had some doubts of what I've picked up. It's not my phrase, but I love it. I, I began to doubt some of the Christian circles I was experiencing, what I like to call easy, cheesy, cotton candy Christianity. Because people would come to church because we would tell them, hey, Jesus is going to make your life better. And it's going to be easy and it's going to be comfortable. And they'd, and they'd come to church and they'd get excited about Jesus. And we'd all right, now it's time to follow him and you've got to take up your cross. They'd, I don't want to do that. You didn't say anything about taking up a cross. You just said, if I come here, my life will be easier and better. And I've been so formed by our culture of consumerism that that's all I want. And so I began to doubt. I began to doubt some of the ways that I had been taught to talk about Christianity. It was easy, cheesy, cotton candy, and I wanted something with substance. I didn't want something that was just going to blow away in the wind. I've had to doubt some things. I've doubted myself. I've doubted God. I've doubted things I've been taught about God. But it's only led me to a deeper, richer, fuller faith. I can say this with utmost confidence. I've never been more excited about Jesus Christ than I am today. But he's led me on a journey. And he's helped me work through some of my doubts. Well, here's the second thing I want to say. Don't deny your doubts. The second thing is, and I, and I say this frequently, I, I picked this up from someone else as well, but I think it's super helpful. You and I confess more than we can explain. We confess as Christians more than we understand. Do you realize that Thomas, as, he, as, he, as, as his eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit, and he says, my Lord and my God, do you realize it is going to take the church 300 years to work out the language of the Trinity? Thomas is declaring, professing, confessing something that is way beyond his own understanding and explanation. And 2,000 years later, I still don't know that I can fully explain the Trinity to you. I believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I believe in one God, three persons. And I believe that because I have received a faith handed down to me. I confess more than I can explain. It's actually one of the things that I love about our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America. We are content to confess more than we can explain. And one of the ways we inhabit that or practice that is by saying that as a church family, we are going to major on the majors and minor on the minors. In other words, we are very resistant as a denomination to just come up with a theological system that ties everything together in one nice, neat, tidy box and answers all of our questions. And mostly those, those nice, neat, tidy boxes usually come in some form of ism. 
Now, I could stretch this out in a long way, and if you have conversation, you want to talk about this, we could talk about this in your personal story, but I'll use some theological terms, and if you don't even know these terms, it's not a big deal, but, but if, you, if you hold to Calvinism, you are welcome in the EFCA. And if you hold to Arminianism, which is different than Calvinism, you are welcome in the EFCA. And if you hold to dispensationalism, which is different than Calvinism or Arminianism, you are welcome. Because we're going to major on the majors and minor on the minors. And we're not going to pretend like we have to answer. We're going to agree to disagree on some of the things that the church has disagreed about for 2,000 years. But we're going to hold tight to what we know is true from the revelation of Jesus. And I think that's really important. Because what I, and I think you're seeing some of this happen in the broader conversations of Christianity in America today. I think some of it has theological issues. Some of it is how intertwined some of our faith has gotten with our politics. But some of us have worked really hard to tie everything up into a nice, neat box. And what happens is it all goes together and we start to get afraid. If I doubt any part of it, I have to throw the whole box out. I think that's some of what's happening. And so, so, so there are some things that I will tell you, and I'll tell you what they are in just a second, that you can hold to with great confidence. But there are other things that we in our denomination call them minors that you can hold more loosely. And if you have to doubt them, maybe it's okay. And maybe there's things from your past at a previous church. People tell me this all the time, that you actually it's healthy for you to doubt. Those are the things you need to unlearn. So you're sitting here saying, well, what are the things that I, I what are the things, I mean, if I need the church if it's a received faith, what are the things that I, that I know I can hold on to? Well, if you're new to Crossview or the EFCA and you're still figuring us out, I would direct you to the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. They, they tend to trans, uh, transfer across all denominations. But if you're a part of Crossview, we go a step farther, and I love our statement of faith. It's one of the reasons I'm an EFCA pastor. Like, there's usually sheets in the, in the hallway and the shelf out there, but you can go to our webpage. You can find the EFCA statement of faith very easily. But these are the things that we agree to agree on. Now, I'm not saying you can't doubt those. You're allowed to have questions, but if you doubt, if you read through the statement of faith and you have questions or doubts, I would love to chat with you. I'd love to walk with you. I'd love to show with you. I mean, they're mostly they're scripture-based. Uh, well, they're all scripture-based, but you can find some of our statements of faith where they point you to the scriptures is what I want to say. But I'd love to walk with you and help you see why we hold so dearly to those things. But if you're doubting something and it's not in the statement of faith, well, well, maybe that's something. Mean, I don't know. We have to have to come. But maybe that's something that you could doubt or should doubt. Maybe, maybe you're holding too tightly to some things that the historic church hasn't held as tightly to. Another way of saying this is leave room for mystery. Uh, we confess more than we can explain or, or leave room for mystery. It's one of the reasons why when I preach, I, I don't tend to preach from a system. I try to just preach out of the story. And story leaves room for mystery. And it's really important, I think, even for discipleship. I was meeting with a brother in Christ this week, and I, it was one of these conversations where I think iron sharpens iron. And he was sharing some things that were hard for him, and I was sharing some things that were hard for me, and we were both, we were both kind of confessing and acknowledging that we needed healing from Jesus. And I said to him, and I believe what I said, I said, I, I know that Jesus is going to heal you and me. I know that this broken part of our souls, I know that I know that I know that Jesus will heal us. But I don't know when and I don't know how. 
and leave room for mystery. I don't, I don't know. I'm just, just going to trust in the sovereignty and the grace and the mercy of God. I know that he'll heal me. Now, I don't know when and I don't know how. That part's mystery, but I trust, right? I trust. And the third thing I want to say, and I think Thomas models this beautifully, hang in there with your church family. People come to Thomas, we've seen Jesus, he says, I don't believe and I won't believe, but he shows up with them, you could say, at church the next Sunday. If you have doubt, you're still welcome here, but stay with us at church, because many of us are going to have doubts, and what we're going to do is we're going to trust the Holy Spirit that we won't all doubt the same thing on the same day. (laughs) We'll trust the Holy Spirit with that. And so some of us will bring our doubts and others of us will have great assurance to share and we will encourage each other and we will carry one another and we will walk through this together. Thomas didn't call his friends crazy and leave them. He hung with them at church. He stayed with his brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, Christianity, as I said, is a received religion. You might not always feel it, and you certainly better never be making it up. It kind of gets me to how I want to kind of end our time as we get to peace. But you don't always feel this stuff. We started talking about forgiveness. And you might say, and this is, this is I mean, there's so many ways of talking about this. A lot of times our church will use language like, I know it in my head, but I don't believe it in my heart. I hear that again and again and again and again. And I, so, so there are some things that I can say with you with great confidence because I, I've been commissioned, we've been commissioned by Jesus to do this. You may not feel forgiven today, but hear this. In Christ, you are forgiven. The church tells you you are forgiven. Jesus says, don't be faithless, but believe. Jesus says, and that forgiveness will lead you to peace. The disciples were locked in that room with fear and anger and confusion and anxiety. And Jesus does the impossible. He brings peace from outside into their midst. Now, I was thinking about this. During Easter season, it's very easy to think about the fear of death, right? We because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus and that he's overwhelmed death. He's, he's filled death with his life so that if you and I are in Christ, if we've placed our belief, our trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, then when we die, we, don't, we actually don't experience death. We go right into the life of Jesus because he's overwhelmed death. <laughs> Cindy's amening because that's why we're going to celebrate a life celebration for Lowell, right? Because we're not worried about Lowell. He's doing great. Jesus has filled death with his life, and we remind ourselves of that on Easter. But death, death may be the ultimate fear of humanity, but the fear of death manifests itself, I think, pretty much any time you and I experience a fear of loss. I think any kind of fear of loss is some manifestation of the fear of death. Fear of loss of approval, fear of loss of dignity, fear of loss of Uh, of your position, fear of loss of control, fear of loss of your significance, fear of loss of your purpose, fear of loss of a relationship, fear of loss of health, fear of loss of love. We have all kinds of fears of loss. 
So yes, at Easter, Jesus overwhelms that primary big fear of death, what happens when when this heart ceases to beat in this body. But Easter also overwhelms every fear of loss that we have. In other words, when Jesus says, don't be faithless but believe, in a sense he's saying, believe that he is enough. Jesus is enough. You will never be without because Jesus is enough. So let me speak this over you. I want to I speak this over you, and then I have a little story about how this hit me this week, and then I'll pray. But maybe, I mean, some of you are more pictorial or imaginative than others. But maybe you can imagine yourself right now locked in this room, whatever your room looks like, but you're locked away in a room because you're afraid You're feeling fear and anxiety. And I want you to imagine that Jesus just suddenly appears and he's in the center of your life. The resurrected Jesus is there and he says to you, peace, peace be with you. Look, if you're feeling afraid or anxious or angry, Jesus says to you, peace be with you. I mean, hear that and receive it. Jesus is bringing his peace. If you're feeling alone, forgotten, isolated, peace be with you. God is with you. He is for you. He went all the way through death for you to be with you. If you're feeling ashamed, overwhelmed with shame or guilt, peace be with you. Your sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. Peace be with you. It is the Father's heart to forgive Receive his forgiveness. Receive his love. Receive this peace. Death is not the end. You and I are afraid of loss. But but God walks all the way through whatever death you're encountering. And he's with you and he's for you. And he will bring resurrection life, new creation. And I love how creative God is. He's so creative. So I was wrestling with some stuff this past week. I think just coming out of Good Friday and Easter, I just... I just had an awareness of my own sin and my own pride and my own arrogance and my own selfishness, my own sin. And and I think God just kind of smiled on me this week. I didn't realize it at the moment. It actually took being in fellowship with a brother in Christ. And then this story just came out and I was like, oh, that's more, that's a Kairos moment. I didn't even realize it. Heaven was breaking into earth and I missed it for a moment. So Wednesday night, I'm here a little bit later, right, because I have formed and I'm in the fellowship hall, and I'm walking out, and I turn around, and we're all done, and I've just been talking for a while, and somebody has a half-drunk bottle of Coca-Cola on the table. And I see it, and I feel in my throat, I'm, I'm thirsty. Now, maybe I've been formed a bit. We're always being formed. I've been formed by good advertising. I see Coke, and you just picture that commercial with the water going down the sides. But I, but I see it, but I actually say out loud, as somebody, as we're walking out of the fellowship, I say out loud, I'm thirsty, I want some Coke. Now I go home and I go to bed. And I get up and I come back at 6.45 in the morning. We have a guy's small group. We're going through the Gospel of Matthew. Any guy is invited who wants to come, 6.45 a.m. on Thursday mornings. I come in and I'm in the same, almost the same place where I said, I'm thirsty, I want Coke. Our small group is meeting. And one of the guys in our small group, there's a little bit of a backstory about this, about why it happened. But to me, it's all about the timing. He literally walks in with six cans of vanilla Coke, which is my favorite. He says, Jeff, I got vanilla Coke for you. And I'm like, what? 
Ten hours ago, I was in this room, and I voiced, I want Coke. And then a brother in Christ shows up with not just Coke, but the best of all Cokes, vanilla Coke. <laughs> and I couldn't help but think, Jesus is smiling. I'm carrying around this weight of shame and guilt. I'm super aware, coming, I'm super aware of all my inadequacies. And Jesus just says, in a way that's meaningful to me. He does it in a way that's meaningful to Thomas. He'll do it in a way that's meaningful to you. I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. And you will know it's Jesus because you will begin to be free of your fear of loss. That's called peace, folks. That's what Jesus provides. You'll know it's Jesus because you'll experience a freedom from some of this loss. Because you'll want to say to somebody, even just in your own, you'll want to say, my Lord and my God, who else knows me like that? Who else knows perfect timing to lift me up when I'm down? So I say to you, church, it's not about a soft drink, right? It's about Jesus. But I say, peace be with you. May Jesus refresh you this week. May he meet you in a personal way that is super meaningful for you. And don't rush past it. You may need a church to slow you down so you see it, but don't rush past it. Because God, I know he wants to tell you this week, I love you. I forgive you. I'm with you. And as you can believe that, don't be faithless, but believe. As you believe that, you will know the peace of God. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we are so grateful. I mean, we all know the story of locking ourselves away. And just picture the darkness, just feeling the weight of anxiety and worry and fear. Even right now, Holy Spirit, you're with us right now. Maybe you even give us words to name. What are we afraid of losing? What are we running over others for so we can keep it? What is causing us to spiral out of control, to lean into anxiety and stress? Because we just have this fear of death, and it's manifesting itself in a fear of loss. And Jesus, would you... Just right now as we're praying, would you just show up in our midst? Suddenly, out of nowhere, new creation, new life. Maybe, maybe we even get chills up our neck because we feel your breath. We want to get close to you. We need you to be close to us. And Jesus, we just want to hear you say these four words. And we want to receive them with faith. Peace be with you. Church, Jesus says to you right now, peace be with you. He goes through death and brings out life. Peace be with you. He goes to the cross to wipe away your sins. Peace be with you. Don't forget that on the cross, Jesus is enthroned as King, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He is in control. Peace be with you. A part of your life that feels out of control right now. Jesus is Lord. That's the good news. Peace be with you. And this Lord loves you and knows you and cares about every hair on your head. You can trust him. Don't be faithless, but believe. Jesus, this morning we want to receive your peace. Because we know it is so sweet to trust in you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.